Well, now what? Um, those, uh, those two words, now what? It's a universal phrase uh, that many of us use. And it, uh, there's a couple scenarios in which this, this phrase is, uh, is very poignant. One is when one thing has ended and the next thing hasn't yet started. Well, now what? Right? So uh, kids, you guys may have done this as you're playing on the playground, or maybe adults as you guys were playing on the playground or in the backyard. Uh, kickball is over. And you don't know what to do next, so you're sitting on the swings just going back and forth looking at each other going, well, now what? Right? One thing has ended, the next thing hasn't yet started. Or it's also a phrase that gets used when the thing that you were planning on doing, you can't do anymore. Right? So let's say, hypothetically, you were on an airplane flying into, I don't know, say, Denver Airport, and as you're about ready to land into the Denver Airport, uh, you have to immediately turn around and go to Rapid City, South Dakota, you can about imagine the moment that the plane makes the turn and the announcement gets made in the, uh, in, in the airplane and that whole cabin has a collective thought of, well, now what? Because I'm willing to bet that roughly 100% of the people in that airplane are now missing their next connecting flight. Now what? Well, as we go through and we continue our series in, in the book of Acts, which we're going to be looking at all summer long together, we're in Acts chapter 2, and both of those scenarios will fit our disciples, the disciples as we find them today. All right? I don't know what was in their mind. I don't know what they're thinking about, but some version of now what had to be going through their minds because one thing had ended and the next hadn't begun. Jesus ascended into heaven. He told them to wait, so now they're sitting around going, now what? Now what? I mean, they replaced Judas, so they, they, they got a new disciple, so you know, they accomplished something while they're waiting. So they're waiting for the next thing to start. Plus, the thing that they had planned on all along, for three years, they've been seeing themselves in Jerusalem next to a Jesus who sits on the throne, and they're his cabinet. Well, that's not happening anymore, so now what? Like he said to wait for the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit would come, and then new life would begin. Like, I don't know what that means, so now what? What are we supposed to be about? Jesus says, wait. Well, today, as we go into Acts chapter 2, the wait is over. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to read just the first 13 verses of Acts chapter 2 today. So if you have your Bibles or if you have, a, have an app on your phone, I encourage you to open it up and take a look at it. As we read these verses together today, we're going to see God pouring out his Holy Spirit. And uh, we're going to look at this together today. So here we go. I'm going to read at verse one, as we begin, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Don't miss that verse. Every nation under heaven gathered in Jerusalem. Jesus said that you will be my witnesses to every nation. Make disciples of every nation. And in this moment when God's Spirit comes, he's brought the nations to come here to witness this event, to be impacted by the coming of the Spirit as they would go out. So every nation is represented here. From, from when, from they, so hold on. Let me try again. When, here we go. 
When they heard this sound, a crowd came together, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Which, by the way, is not a compliment at that moment. These are the dumb people that don't know anything. How can they speak these languages, right? That's what they're saying in this. Aren't all these Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Perithans, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and other parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them, listen to this, declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? And then... In a moment that uh, we are reminded that even the people in Scripture are very, very real, some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. That explains it. They're drunk. Acts chapter 2 is so big. There's so much that happens in Acts chapter 2. It is such a pivotal chapter in, in, uh, in the book of Acts as we see transferring out of the, the, the time in which Jesus is present and moving on into the New Testament church. Uh, Acts chapter 2 is broken into three kind of main parts. We looked at part number one, which is just what I read. Part number two is when Peter stands up and delivers a message in which he points everybody to Jesus. And then part number three is what we begin to see is the early church starting, that first church movement, that body of believers coming together and what that looked like. In just a couple commentaries that I use as kind of my base as I do my sermon prep and things like that, hundreds of pages were written about Acts chapter 2. So we can't cover all of Acts chapter 2. So let's focus on the first part, God pouring out a spirit. But even in that, there's so much to cover. So here's what I want to look at today. There's one word that just kind of popped out at me as I was doing my reading and kind of doing my prep stuff uh, a couple weeks ago as I was working on this. It's the word fire. That the tongues of fire appeared. See, fire is an image that's used throughout Scripture for many different, many different purposes. So we're going, to see, we're going to see fire being used for purifying or purification purposes. There's a purifying fire to burn off the impurities of a, of a metal or something like that. You, you also have uh, light or illumination. So it's either daylight or firelight. There's no light switches and lights that can be used. So fire was used to, to illuminate a way or illuminate a path. Fire is also used as this all-consuming judgment. Like there's a fire that would just burn something completely to the ground and be gone. And it's part of a judgment. So you'll see that image used throughout Scripture. But the two that I want to look at today is that the, the, the image of fire is used for God's presence and God's leading. So we start with God's presence. We start with God's presence. How many of you guys have ever used this phrase? Leave me alone. Maybe I should ask this. Kids, how many of you use the phrase, leave me alone? Raise your hand. All right? This is, this is a joint, usually it's the older sibling looking at the younger sibling. Just leave me alone. Just give me my space. Right? You know who else uses this phrase a lot, or at least thinks it a lot? Mommies. Mommies like this phrase, right? Just leave me alone. Give me my alone time. 
That's why the bathroom becomes a popular place. You can shut and lock the door. It's one thing to have your alone time. It's another thing completely to be left alone. Right? So give me my alone time. I want a little time to be able to do something or process things on my own. It's another to realize that that is a future. And for some of us, we've experienced that. We've felt that because we have, we've lost a loved one or we have uh, uh, experienced a, a loss of a loved one, maybe even through a death, as we have a spouse that would be leaving a death or a, a divorce. For some of us as children, we've lost our parents And we're left to navigate this world on our own, to figure out a new way of doing things and adjust to what that looks like. In John chapter 14, 15, and 16, we have something called the upper room discourse. It's called that because it's right before Jesus is going to be arrested in the garden. And across those three chapters of the gospel of John, Jesus does an extended amount of teaching to his disciples And it's recorded for us in the Gospel of John. And as he's doing his teaching, the Holy Spirit is a part of his teaching. In fact, Jesus does a lot of conversation and teaching on the Holy Spirit in those three chapters. And it's because he's leaving and he wants to comfort them. So what he says in here, he says, I'm going to leave you, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I will leave, but you will not be left alone. One will come, and that is the Holy Spirit. So fire becomes an image for us of the divine presence of God. We see it in the Old Testament a lot. So if we just even look at Genesis and Exodus, Genesis chapter 15, there is a promise that God is making to Abraham. And to seal this promise, God shows up as a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch. That's the presence of God sealing the promise in Genesis 15. Exodus chapter 3. We have probably one of the more famous moments where the fire becomes the presence of God, and that is Moses and the burning bush. And there's a burning bush over there, and Moses notices and goes and uh, approaches the bush. And as he does, he's told he's on holy ground because the presence of God is there. Fast forward a little bit more. Exodus chapter 13. God's people are out moving through the desert, and as they are, there is a pillar of fire that leads them. More on that in a moment. Exodus chapter 19, the Ten Commandments are about to be given. The people of God gather around Mount Sinai, and Moses goes up, and the fire comes down. It is God's presence on the top of that mountain. And we know his presence is there because God says, you better put rope on the bottom of that mountain because if anybody steps too close to that mountain, they're going to die because my presence is there. Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has a beautiful image, a beautiful vision of the very throne room of God. And in this throne room of God, we hear a thundering noise as people are talking, and this noise shakes everything, and the whole temple is filled with the smoke that comes from fire, God's presence. Jesus says, I'm going to leave you but I'm not going to leave you alone. He would go on in John chapter 16 to say, it's actually a very good thing that I'm leaving you because when I leave, that means the Holy Spirit can come. When Jesus is walking on earth, God's presence is on earth, but God's presence is located in a single human body. 
So if you wanted to be in the presence of God, in the very presence of, of, of the divine, you went to Jesus and you spent time with him. But he says, it's good, I'm leaving. And when I do, and when I do, the Holy Spirit will come. And we see in Acts chapter 2 that as the fire comes and is divided off, it rests on all of them. You'll notice what it looked like when the Holy Spirit came. There was a thundering sound. And man, how do you describe that sound? It's, it's, it's like the sound of a mighty rushing wind, but there's a, this sound that filled the whole room in which they were. And, and then there's this thing that showed up, and, and the best way to describe it is going to be, it looked, like, it looked like tongues of fire. Isaiah 6 happens in Acts chapter 2. The, the throne room of God comes into that room at Pentecost and is divided off and comes to rest on all of them. God's presence now in everyone. Not located in one single place, but rather in everyone. God's presence comes and rests in those who believe. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 16, we're told this, in verse 19, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Our very bodies becoming that temple, the throne room of God, God's presence rests with you. You're never alone. For those who trust in Jesus Christ, you're not left alone. No matter how dark the season is, no matter how challenging it may be, no matter how alone you may feel, you are never left alone. But God not only calls his people and indwells his people with his presence, he also leads them. So in Exodus chapter 13, there is uh, God's people leaving Egypt. An incredible story of people enslaved and set free from their slavery and not dying because of the blood of the lamb that was shed. Don't lose all the imagery of leaving Egypt and what God has done for you and for me. But as they're leaving, they're led into this wilderness. They have no idea where they're going. They have no idea what they're supposed to do. For hundreds of years, all they've known is work seven days a week from sunup to sundown in slavery. That's all they've done. For generations, that has been their life. And now we're out here. We're not working. We're going somewhere doing something. We have no idea what we're supposed to do. So God goes before them. During the day, he's a, a pillar of cloud, and at night, he's a pillar of fire. Listen to this from Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 and 22. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light, so they could travel by day or night. 
And to speak to the presence of God, verse 22 says, neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. As they enter into this world that they don't know, this this unknown place, God very visibly appears and says, I will lead you. And at night, a massive pillar of fire so all can see, and we follow the fire. In the Gospels, what are the two words? As Jesus calls his disciples, what are the two words that he says to his disciples? Follow me. Jesus leads and guides them. They're like, follow me. Walk where I walk. Do the things that I do. Say the things that I say. Like, follow me. And as he leaves... The Holy Spirit comes, and God continues to guide his church. So we follow the fire, because the fire has been placed within us, the Holy Spirit indwelling within us. So we live in step with the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, I won't read them all, there's many verses, verses 16 through 26, in which Paul lays out for us the things that we to do and how we're not to do these things, and it's the fruit of the Spirit section of the Scriptures. But listen, this is what we find in this section, that we are to walk by the Spirit, that we are led by the Spirit, that we live by the Spirit, and so we keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit leads us. The Spirit guides that fire within us. We follow the fire. How do you do that? Like practically, how do you do that? We get a few cues from the end of Acts chapter 2 where this church begins. There's a few things that they do instantly and they do together. They're under the teaching of the word, they pray together, and they spend time together. So for us, we spend time in God's word. We read, this, we read the word. If, if you're not in a regular rhythm of reading God's word, you need to be. And that doesn't mean three and a half to four hours in the morning. It can mean five minutes in the morning. It can mean 30 minutes in the morning. It can mean an hour in the morning. Spend time in God's word. Again, in John chapter 14, as Jesus is doing the teaching on the Holy Spirit, he says this in John chapter 14, verse 26, that the Holy Spirit will come, and as the Holy Spirit comes, he will remind us of the things that Jesus has said. Anybody ever have a Bible verse just pop into their head at any moment in life? Or maybe a biblical concept that just kind of comes and fits the moment? It's the Holy Spirit reminding you of the things that God has said. And when you read the Word of God, you give the Holy Spirit more to work with. Right? If He's going to remind you, the more you put in, the verses that you read three years ago that you don't even remember may come to mind as the Holy Spirit reminds you of those things. So we read God's Word, we pray. Because as we pray, it's not just us pouring out our hearts to God. God has an opportunity to speak to us, to remind us of things. We spent seven, eight weeks going through the Lord's Prayer. If you missed any part of that, go back online, watch watch the YouTube videos or listen to the audio podcast. There's so much that happens in the Lord's Prayer as we spend time praying to Him and, and the Holy Spirit speaks to us. 
And we also spend time with other people, other believers, other followers of Jesus. Because as they spend time praying and as they spend time in the word, they're able to tell us and remind us of things that are biblically based and biblically solid. And so the Spirit speaks through all of those things to us. And we live in step with the Spirit. As we follow the fire that's been placed within us. So now what? Now what? Now live. Now live. Now live in the world. Live in step with the Spirit. We see that again at the end of Acts chapter 2. If you haven't read the end of Acts chapter 2, your assignment today, go home and read the rest of Acts chapter 2 and look at the things that were done in that early church as people lived in step with the Spirit. I'm going to encourage you with this. As we go through over the next several weeks and we go through the book of Acts, I want to encourage you to look for the background characters. I look for the, back, the, the front main characters are going to be easy to find. Mostly Peter and Paul, a few others here and there. But look at the background characters. The background characters are going to be a little bit more difficult to find. You've got to search for them. Because sometimes they're not even mentioned. They're definitely not named, but sometimes they're just simply implied. Let me give you an example of background characters from Acts chapter 2. How many people were baptized into the faith on the day in which Peter preached. 3,000. How many of those 3,000 are named in Acts chapter 2? Exactly zero of them. And yet, something happened as those 3,000 went out and lived in step with the Spirit that all of Jerusalem took notice. You could not help but notice that something had happened. And daily, people were coming to faith. Favor grew as people just were were appreciative of these these 3,000 that continued to grow every day. They lived in step with the Spirit in a way in which the world noticed. And we have no idea what they did other than spending time with each other, spending time in the Word and praying. But that affected their life and they lived in step with the Spirit in every step of the way. The background characters are actually what transformed Jerusalem. Yes, Peter did some preaching. Yes, the disciples were doing amazing things, which we're going to continue to cover in the chapters ahead. But don't lose the background characters that lived everyday life in step with the Spirit and changed the world. See, we are invited out of the waiting and into the world And if there has ever been a time in which our world needs to see and needs to know the life-transforming power of Jesus Christ, it's now. The fire's been placed within you. God's presence is there. And now we follow living in step with the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you have gifted us with a gift that we cannot say thank you enough for. Lord, first, the gift of salvation. 
the gift of being freed from the slavery of sin. And now the gift of the Spirit to lead and to guide us in our daily life. God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear your whisper. And that, God, you would give us a heart to know how to respond to the things that you've called us to do. May we be people who live in step with the Spirit. Amen. One of the other gifts that God has given us to sustain us on this journey through life is the gift of his grace. He makes that grace evident to us as we come for communion. So today is a day in which we get to receive in very tangible ways the grace of God. So as you come, you are invited today if you are trusting Jesus as your Savior. If you know that you need one and you're not your own Savior, your politics aren't your Savior, your actions aren't your Savior, your money's not your Savior, Jesus is your Savior, then you're invited to come. Jesus gives us the invitation. He says this, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. In John chapter 3, we learn why Jesus came. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. In 1 John chapter 1, we're given a promise that we're going to spend a moment in our own hearts kind of pondering and reflecting on. We're told that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, he forgives. I want to take a moment, just a a couple seconds here, a couple minutes, and just ponder in your heart, what is the Holy Spirit, the one who is leading and guiding you, the one that indwells you, what is he saying to you about your life? Specifically, by the way, Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit would come, he would convict the world of their sins. Not condemn them, but to convict. And conviction leads to confession which leads us to the cross of Jesus Christ. So the Spirit convicts you of anything in this moment is just kind of pricking your heart at something that is a gift from Him that you don't shy away from. But take that and bring that to the cross and confession. Take a confession. Take a few moments in your heart. Listen to the Spirit for you today. Almighty God, our Creator and our Redeemer. We poor sinners confess to you that we are by nature sinful and unclean. And God, it's just in us to sin against you in the things that we think, the 
things that we say, the things that we do, and God, the things that we don't do that you've called us to do. So God, we flee for refuge to your infinite mercy. And we ask that you, for the sake of Christ, would forgive us for all of our sins. And that by your Holy Spirit, that indwells and leads us, that you would increase in us a true knowledge of your will so that by your grace we may walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. I'd like you to stand as we together confess the Christian faith as it's expressed in the words of the Apostles' Creed. Let's confess together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated.